This is Decentralized Radio. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ryan. The goal of this podcast is to help educate you on how to live your most optimal life. We will host industry expert guests to shed light on topics that matter. We are not gurus, rather two individuals who have had to pave their own path to health and vitality, independent of the centralized systems that plague modern society. Everything you have done to take care of your heart was wrong. Today, we're going to be talking to Dr. Stephen Hussey, author of the book, Understanding the Heart, which covers a lot of misconceptions about heart health that in the standard medical community you would find to be true. Today, we're going to be talking about a lot of things that deal with your heart that have nothing to do with food. We're going to be talking about light, water, and magnetism, minding your mitochondria. So let's dive in. Welcome back to Decentralized Radio. This is my first ever, I believe, introduction of the show. Uh, Tristan has lent me the reins, and we are talking to a very exciting guest today, Dr. Stephen Hussey, who has a wonderful book called Understanding the Heart. Uh, it's actually one of the earlier books that I have read in the health space on my own journey. Uh, Tristan, uh, how are you doing? You're in Wyoming, enjoying it? Got the shirt off, I love it. Uh, this, this is a shirt, dude. It's just the color oh. of my skin. Sorry, yeah. my eyes are deceiving me. <laughs> no, I'm doing well. Yeah, excited for this conversation. Yeah, there's a lot we're going to be talking about that is not actually necessarily food-based. I'm sure we'll talk about some of that stuff for sure because it's always exciting, but there's a lot more to it uh, than just food when it comes to the heart, unlike what your cardiologist may be telling you. So, Stephen, I'd sort of love to begin by talking about a little bit of your background, your health story. You have a really good video on your Instagram page, which I'll link in the in the notes below about uh, your journey with atherosclerosis in your in your leg, actually, which is a cool story. But there's so much more to that. So I'd love to give you uh, the floor for a little bit of your background and sort of why you got into the space and why you're here and why you do what you do. For sure. Um, yeah, I mean, like most people, I guess that, you know, find themselves immersed in this, you know, my own personal health journey kind of pushed me toward, you know, health and being passionate about health. And, you know, I was very um, inflamed child, I would say I had a lot of inflammatory conditions. Um, everything from asthma to, to I used to break out chronic hives, had irritable bowel syndrome, um, stuff like that. And so um, ultimately ended up with autoimmune type 1 diabetes uh, when I was nine years old, just a, again, uh, a result of that inflammation um, where my body just uh, just reacting the way that it was. And so, you know, my parents and I were just kind of thrown into the world of Western medicine and to manage these conditions and, and just kind of did what they said. And it wasn't until college that I figured out that the way I lived my life had a direct impact on my ability to manage these conditions. And, you know, I, I can say that I've gotten rid of all of them aside from the type one diabetes, which is kind of, you know, collateral damage from, from that inflammation. Um, but yeah, so I thought that it was interesting that, you know, no doctor had ever told me that I could change my lifestyle and, and get rid of these conditions or, or manage them better or, or whatever. Uh, and so that kind of, you know, um, uh, inspired me to, to look further into this and I became passionate about health and, you know, eventually went and got a medical education as a chiropractor and a master's in functional medicine. And, but those things taught me some things, but they didn't really teach me, um, that much to give me a good baseline education, but it's really been my, my study of things outside of formal education that, that, um, that have really given me the answers I was always looking for. Um, and so since I'm heavily predisposed to heart disease, as a type one diabetic, I've been very interested in the heart um, and just, you know, everything I could learn about it. And so 
the thing about me is that I've always just been very curious and, you know, I never ruled anything out. I wanted to read it. If it was information, even if it sounded crazy, I wanted to read it. Um, even if it didn't make sense to me then, I thought it was crazy then. It may make sense later when I read three other things, you know. So it was just um, kind of a never-ending search for, for things. And I had all this information and I about the heart and I started sharing it and people seemed to like it. So I put it down to a book and, and uh, yeah, here we are. Um, and, uh, you know, I have some interesting stories about heart disease and, and, and different things, but um, my information is, you know, I'm not going to sit here and claim that it's, that it's, um, that it's the right thing to, to say or the, or, you know, the correct opinion or whatever. Um, it's contrary. A lot of it is contrary to, you know, Western medicine's thoughts on cardiology and things. Um, but I just, I just want the truth. You know, I've been looking for the truth and trying to find it about health my entire life. And, and the most important thing to do when looking for the truth is, is to have open, honest discussion about it. And, and when you're seeking it. And so that's what the book is about. It's, it's about different ideas um, and different, um, you know, um, explanations of the pathology and, and say, Hey, look at this information. Let's see if we can use it to actually find the truth. Maybe it is the truth. Maybe it's not, but let's, let's, not close our minds off and think we have the truth. Let's keep looking for it. Yeah. And it's a lot about, like you said, so it's about having those conversations and being open-minded. I found that even within the functional space, there's, there tends to be, I, I feel like maybe it's human nature. There tends to be sort of this draw to finding a certain perspective or a camp and then sort of squatting there for a while, whether that's carnivore camp, vegan camp, and based camp or whatever quantum health camp. And it's sort of at the end of the day, I've come to the the realization that it's sort of like all of these things you can take little bits and pieces, and that's why I find these conversations with with multiple guests like very valuable because i I don't think anyone has it figured out per se, but everyone has a different version or different knowledge to share and i mean it's I mean it's evolved like throughout throughout my journey as it has yours, I'm sure, and it's definitely with Tristan's. You probably don't remember we had a conversation like over a year ago. And at that time, our conversation revolved a lot around food, animal-based diets, heart health, misconceptions about LDL, talking about CAC scores and all this different sort of uh, metrics that people measure uh, in a general conventional sense. But um, I'd, I'd love to sort of dive into a little bit of the, the more uh, muddy waters, I guess, of, of things like, like water, sunlight, touching dirt. Like why are all these other aspects of environmental things important for heart and health. I know we talked a lot about in our, I was rewatching our discussion from over a year ago. We talked about stress and the stress impact on your arteries or heart. And uh, there was a lot of mindset stuff with that. Um, so we can probably dive into some of those things too. But what are some of the things that you explore in your book or even since having written that, that you found more interesting to having impact on your heart that maybe isn't spoken about in the conventional like saturated fat causes to heart disease for sure um yeah you know i when i started writing this book i i probably didn't realize it but i was i was harping on this message that the idea or the 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 theory behind heart disease has been so centered around diet because of this incorrect idea that saturated fat and cholesterol are the cause of heart disease um which you know was kind of that idea was kind of developed back in the 50s and 60s. Um, but because of that idea, um, you know, the approach to preventing it was either, you know, lowering cholesterol in your blood or changing your diet and eating a certain way. And so, you know, while diet is important and metabolic health is important, um, 
you know, there's so much more to health uh, and, and so much more to heart disease is what I found. And so I didn't really realize it when I was writing, but I was really trying to open the conversation about it and bring it away from diet um, and toward the other um, aspects of, of what create this disease. And so, yeah, so we talked about sunlight. Um, I mean, light is incredibly important. And so, you know, we get about a third of our energy um, in our bodies from food. Uh, so, which means there's two thirds that has to come from somewhere else. Um, and if you, and if you look at things, if you zoom way back and, and you think about how the earth got energy in the first place, it was because there was light, there was sunlight coming to the earth. And so it would make sense that we absorb energy from the sun as well. Uh, and so, you know, especially, I mean, there's lots of different, you know, ways that your body would get energy, so to speak from the sun. One is that you literally, because we are animals and we have the fatty acid DHA, we can literally take um, sunlight and turn it into electrons or electricity um, that drive the production of, you know, um, cellular processes, drive the production of electron transport chains that make ATP. Um, so there's that. There's also the fact that we are a large percentage water, and and um, that water is not in a liquid state, or most of it's not in a liquid state, like the um, water in our cells and things, it's all in this gel state. Um, it's in a fourth phase of water, so to speak. So water has the ability to structure itself um, onto biological surfaces or onto hydrophilic surfaces. Water-loving surfaces and, and biologic surfaces are, are hydrophilic. And so if, it, if the water is next to that surface and it has sufficient energy, um, then it can structure itself into this more gel-like state, which is, you think, like jello. Um, and so that's pretty much what, you know, the, the state of water in our entire body. And the, the number one way to energize that water and create that structured water is infrared light. Um, there's different forms of energy that you can use to do that, but infrared is the most absorbed by water. Uh, and so that is, you know, the original source of infrared is, is the sun. You know, about 42% of the sun's rays are infrared. Uh, it's higher in the, in the uh, mornings and the evenings, uh, that infrared light, which is why it's important to you know, get out into morning light. Um, so those are just different ways that light drives our physiology. But the other aspect of light, especially sunlight, that's really, really important um, is how it, how it uh, triggers or how it signals our circadian rhythm. Um, so basically our exposure to light is what tells your body what time it is uh, and what to do and when to do it, right? So if we're getting the wrong light signals, like we're getting indoor artificial lights um, at the wrong times, because it's, it's not like those color temperatures of light are bad for us. Uh, they can be at the wrong times, though, uh, and they can be when they're processed and they're not full spectrum, right? Because um, there's studies that show that blue light is very beneficial. But if we get mostly blue light and we get it at the wrong times, like when we're not supposed to be getting light at all, that's what triggers um, this alteration in our physiology. Our body's getting the wrong signals. It literally can't, it doesn't know when to, you know, digest. It doesn't know when to go to sleep or, or even prepare for sleep. Um, doesn't know a lot of things. And that creates this imbalance in the circadian rhythm, which is very heavily associated with imbalance in the autonomic nervous system, um, which links us directly to quote unquote stress, you know, and how the autonomic nervous system um, and heart rate variability or poor heart rate or low heart rate variability are heavily linked to poor health outcomes in general, but specifically um, poor outcomes with, with heart disease or higher rates of heart disease. Um, and, and so there's lots of different things that could, um, imbalance your autonomic nervous system, but being out of sync with the day night cycle, eating at the wrong times, exercising at the wrong time. So that your circadian rhythm, your body's not getting those, 
you know, clock-like signals throughout the day, every day, um, definitely confuses things and creates this issue. So, so yeah, that's kind of a big kind of overview of all the different ways that light affects our physiology and how important it is. So it's like you could be eating the most perfect diet, but if you're living in the wrong light environment, your body doesn't know how to use that diet. Hey, friend. Thanks for listening. If you really enjoy this podcast, it would be really appreciated if you left us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, or subscribe to our content on YouTube. This helps us get to a larger reach and a larger audience to spread this wonderful free education. Yeah, I think what I often like to say is it's kind of like the input signal to our biology, like so many downstream, you know, functions and systems are, are based off light signals. And, and we talk a lot about that. And, and basically everything you're describing, or a lot of it is, it goes back to the mitochondria, you know, functioning optimally. And then I think uh, on your book, you you know, you break it down. It's like energizing the body, balancing the autonomic nervous system, which you just mentioned, reducing oxidative stress. And to me, those are like all like very holistic, you know, views. So it, it's cool that you silo it down to the heart. And I want to, I want to get to that and how the mitochondria is, you know, affecting the heart specifically. Um, but in general, I, I want to talk a little bit about oxidative stress specifically, because I think this is something that people hear a lot about. Um, they hear a lot about antioxidants, especially in like the food diet component. And, you know, you talk and we talk here on the show quite a bit about endogenous antioxidants or, you know, grounding, things like that. So I'm curious, could you explain maybe a little bit how, you know, oxidative stress kind of comes to fruition and, you know, there's an important factor and balance of like producing free radicals. Um, that's just like a byproduct, right. Of oxidative phosphorylation. So how, how do we actually, you know, want to understand this process and when does it tip over to the oxidative stress, you know, part of the equation where cell damage can occur? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, this oxidative stress conversation, you know, or these free radicals, or people talk about them all the time, or how bad they are, you know, especially in the, you know, in the, because um, in the Western medical world, they just kind of don't even acknowledge that they're, that they're sometimes, but in the holistic world, they're, they're seen as this negative thing sometimes, because when they do get out of balance, they create this issue, right, this issue of, of damage. Um, however, free radicals are incredibly important. Um, they wouldn't be there um, if they weren't. And so they're typically do a lot of different things. They act as signaling molecules to like signal like how satiated we are, you know, which the wrong types of fuel sort um, fuel types in the mitochondria can not create that oxidative stress, which then never triggers satiety. So you keep eating um, or uh, free radicals um, actually um, produce light signals. Uh, and they also, there's even evidence that they, <laughs> they have this um, ability to have like quantum entanglement. So the fact that a, an electron was bound to a molecule at one point, and then that electron is at left and becomes a free radical. That free radical and the electron are still quantumly entangled. So if that electron ends up somewhere in the brain and that, that molecule is still somewhere in the liver, they can kind of communicate and see what's going on in the rest of the body. And that's, that links into something like coherence. But it just goes to show that these free radicals are, are important things. Now, like, just like you said, they're supposed to be kind of this balance, just like anything else. You know, we could, vitamin A is a very good thing. Get too much of it, it can cause an issue. I mean, any any nutrient can be that way. Um, so if we get too many of these free radicals, um, the issue is that the body has to, has to 
I guess, mitigate them to an extent because, you know, they're supposed to have this, this amount of antioxidants in the body that your, that your body creates that when we get the process of passing these electrons down the electron transport chain to make water and heat and ATP and everything in the end, we also get this free radical, which also does things. But if we're making too many of those, um, or we get too many things in our body that can act like free radicals or too many things in our body that can create free radicals from creating damage, then we can get this state of what's called oxidative stress, um, where we get these reactive oxygen species, these free radicals that are going around. And I, like I tell my clients and patients, um, it's like the Looney Tunes Tasmanian devil. You know, it's going around like crazy and it, cause it, it wants to find a pair, uh, an electron pair, because it doesn't like to not be paired. It feels unstable. And so it will find that pair wherever it can find it, including a steel from a tissue or from fourth phase water, um, because that's very electronegative, has lots of um, uh, negative ions to donate. And so, so if we have this high amount of oxidative stress, it can start stealing electrons from places and that can cause damage. It can cause damage to mitochondria. It can cause damage to the lining of the artery. Um, it can cause damage to pretty much anywhere that it's in contact with. And so there was this thought at one point that, you know, we could, we could uh, mitigate oxidative stress by taking antioxidants. Um, and so you could, you could put something in a Petri dish, some sort of free radical, and you could put these antioxidants on there and it would take care of it. And you're like, oh, this must work in the body. However, when you do, like when you do a, a study like that, it, it seems to work that way. But when you, when you actually do clinical trials and put it in someone's body, it doesn't seem to reduce oxidative stress. These external antioxidants, all these um, superfood type things that uh, people talk about. Um, whereas the real way to mitigate oxidative stress is to stop the process of making those excessive free radicals by increasing mitochondrial function or, or, or creating healthy mitochondrial function and then encouraging your body to make internal antioxidants, um, so endogenous antioxidants. Um, and so how we do that, I mean, how we, how we um, make sure that our mitochondria are functioning properly is the right light environment, getting in contact with the earth, um, being metabolically healthy, so having a very efficient fuel source, so more fatty acids and ketones rather than, than um, uh, processed carbohydrates or just glucose all the time. Um, and then increasing the internal antioxidant production is giving your body the right kind of tools to do that. So that would be um, the right amino acids. Um, so that's why collagen protein is, is pretty important because it has uh, the types of amino acids that your body builds those internal antioxidants from, um, but also things like sulfur um, and you know, just um, even just uh, liver itself, like eating liver or taking liver supplements, like those types of things are all very helpful in um, increasing the production of internal antioxidants. And so that's kind of how we, we do that. We create that balance. Yeah. You just, you mentioned like so many good things right there that I kind of want to dive into a little bit, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, I think that frame of, you know, thought is, is pretty, I don't know. It's, it's, for me, it's wild how little people are talking about these things because when you look into the papers and the research and it's like, yeah, melatonin is like a 10x more potent, you know, free radical scavenger <laughs> than vitamin C and, you know, has no pro-oxidant, you know, uh, traits as well. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the composer of our mitochondria. And, and that goes back to the circadian rhythms, uh, you know, being so important that you're talking about. 
And, you know, yeah, no one's talking about this. And, and everyone, even in the functional space, even in the biohacker space, you know, they all just, you know, have supplements and things like that. But foundationally, it seems like our body has has figured all this out. We just we just need to tap into it. So, you know, something you also said uh, that maybe I want to ask about is is like diet and fat, uh, fatty acids being more efficient from like a mitochondrial perspective, because this is something that and I don't want to talk about diet too much. But, you know, this is something that for maybe four years, it's like you heard this saying that ketones are more efficient fuel source. Okay. No, but nobody tells you like why or how. And and recently I kind of went down this rabbit hole and it's like, oh, like ketones actually upregulate like all the respiratory proteins in our mitochondria, like literally all of them. And like the mitochondria will, will change shape and, and be humming at a certain frequency, right? To to be burning fat. Um, is is that kind of like the essence of why fat is like a more optimal fuel? Or could you maybe shed some light better on that than um what I just did and how people should think about that, I guess. And, and of course you mentioned DHA earlier as well. Like, is that something people really need to be thinking about optimizing in the, in their diet? Yeah. So with DHA, it's what you want to be building your, your body with, like your cells with, um, for the most part. Um, and so like, you know, there'll be some sources where we have, um, like more omega sixes, but those like are only in small amounts, um, like what would naturally come in a steak or whatever. But DHA is an EPA, but DHA is the one that really allows us to use light. Um, you want to be building your body with that. Like we are animals. We need animal fats. Uh, we don't need the, the plant fats. We can't, we can use those, but they're just, they don't create optimal physiology for us. Um, and then, yeah, as far as like a, a, a fuel source. So the reason, the main reason that, that ketones and fatty acids are um, uh, more efficient is because they're non-fermentable fuel sources. So if your body's trying to make energy um, and it wants to use oxygen to do that, that's always the more efficient way to do it. You're going to get way more production of, of um, you know, fourth phase water of um, heat uh, and of ATP uh, when you're using oxidative phosphorylation. Your body's using oxygen, oxygen um, to, you know, break the chemical bonds in food, to harvest electrons and pass them down the electron transport chain. Um, and so, there's another way that you can also get energy and that is, and that is fermentation or glycolysis. Um, and so, but that can only use glucose. Um, and so glucose is just a much um, more inefficient. When we look at, you know, what it creates at the end, as far as ATP, um, it creates much less ATP in the end. Uh, so using glucose for fuel is, it's going to create more free radicals, which there's evidence, especially in skeletal muscle that using glucose creates more free radicals. So it, it kind of pushes us closer to that potential state of oxidative stress, um, but also that it makes less ATP. So if you're making less ATP, you've got to burn more glucose um, to get enough ATP. So and that's the that's what we see in cancer. So cancer cells um, move over from oxidative phosphorylation because the mitochondria is so damaged and the cell's not functioning that they revert over to fermentation uh, of that glucose. And so that's why you can, you know, take radioactive glucose and do a DEXA scan. You can pick up where cancer is because it's using so much glucose, um, trying to make enough ATP to stay alive. Um, so if we, if we um, use more um, fatty acids, or we encourage our body to use more fatty acids and make ketones and use those as well, we stay away from fermentation uh, because those are fuels that we just can't ferment. We have to use oxygen. We have to have intact, healthy mitochondria to do that, which is all this other stuff we're talking about, the light and the grounding. 
um, and, and those types of things. So um, incredibly important, but also people are going to feel it as well. You know, they're going to feel the uh, the difference in energy production and, and the efficiency um, in their health and just how they feel in general. And just, uh, I just want to clarify one thing, right? Um, it's, uh, so that should be kind of thought of as like our foundational, like baseline energy production, right? And I guess it's like, I think about it from an athletic perspective that we're pretty, you know, we're burning fat as fuel until you get into this like glycolytic threshold. So to me, it's like, maybe that's when, you know, most people or, you know, people should be tapping into like glycolysis, whereas now the average member of society who's, you know, chronic disease is, is really prevalent is, is kind of just at that stage, you know, all the time. Is, is that like a good way to think about it? Yeah. So at some point, you know, like that, that's where we have glycogen storage and like the liver and the mm-hmm. muscles. Um, because at some point we're going to have to convert over to, to using a, like a faster fuel source. Uh, and that's okay to do in, in the short term, right? Which is why, you know, if I was going to have carbohydrates, it would be while I was doing this crazy amount of exercise because that's when my body's going to use it right away. Um, however, food and those processes we just all talked about are only a third of the way our body gets energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other two thirds is, is, you know, from the environment. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's important to, to remember that too, because, you know, electrons come from different places and not just the chemical bonds in food. And so we can really help out, uh, that mitochondrial efficiency, um, by, by, um, by getting energy from other areas and not being so dependent on the food. Yeah. I mean, that kind of, pay, I mean, Tristan's actually, his statement there kind of piggybacks off of sort of what I was going to ask. And Mine's a little bit uh, broader, but same sort of topic. Then I'll kind of drop the the food thing for now because I want to kind of get in the other stuff. But it the way I've been thinking of diet recently, me and Tristan talk about this a lot in the podcast. Is sort of in a, as a in a cyclical nature with with seasonal eating and eating you know available things in your environment and stuff like that. So would there be like a benefit? Because I think about like sure the average American's pretty sedentary, doesn't necessarily go to the gym all the time, um, maybe works a desk job nine to five stuff like that. Would that person benefit? From, from being in that sort of ketosis state of burning, like the predominant amount of the time throughout the year? Or is there still benefit to cycling in and out maybe with the season? So maybe eating more carbohydrates that are local to you in the summer and then sort of going back into that through the winter? Or would that still be detrimental? I would say it's kind of context dependent, so it's kind of an open question. But I just wondered if you've thought about that seasonality aspect to to carbs and and burning more glucose for energy and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I think that yeah, there's situations where someone needs to be in ketosis, you know, some epilepsy and things like that. There's been benefit then those people if they get out of ketosis that they their symptoms come back. So it, it can be dependent on that kind of thing. Um however, I'm not dogmatic about any certain way of eating. I think that you should you should definitely eat um in a way that creates metabolic health. Um, and I think seasonality is very important because of light, getting back to light. So, um, you know, if you're eating food that was grown in a different light environment than the one that your body is currently in, it can create confusion in the lining of the gut. Um, and we have you know, evidence for that. Um, and so, um, you know, eating foods out of season or eating foods that have been shipped all over the world um, can create issues. So I think that it's completely understandable and natural for our physiology to go back and forth between burning glucose and fatty acids. That's why it can do it. That was preserved evolutionarily because that's what happened year in and year out. 
Um, and so, you know, I think that there's something to be said for that uh, as far as getting, you know, energy from food in different ways. Our bodies are just adaptive based on what was available in the season. Um, and so, but I think that it's important to pay attention to be conscious of what's actually local and in season in your environment. You know, it's not like, okay, fruit's in season because it's summer, but I live in Canada and I'm going to eat a pineapple, you know, like that's still not local and never will be. Um, so it depends on that type, that type of stuff, you know, like really think about what grows in your natural environment and how you can get it locally, like farmers markets and things like that. Um, because I think that's incredibly important, not just for metabolism, like we were kind of talking about, but also because the light that's stored in the chemical bonds and how that is metabolized in the body and what that, what signal that gives your body internally. So we're getting signals externally from the light from the sun, but we can get in, we can get light signals from the food once, once it's in our gut. Because the bacteria in our gut can't absorb it. They don't have DHA, so they don't use the light. Um, so it gets projected right onto the lining of the gut. And that's important to, to take into consideration too. Yeah. And uh, we sort of had that discussion, me and Tristan yesterday in our live, talking about eating locally, also supports local businesses, local farmers, mm-hmm. and that's sort of a, all about decentralization. So Tristan, you had a thought? Or no, never mind. Yeah, yeah. I was just curious. You know, I hear this like one third, two thirds from yeah, yeah. food, uh, from the environment thing. Um, obviously, it's pretty heavily stated in, in the quantum health space. I think I just personally, I'm curious because I've never found like a good research article explaining this. And obviously, most people listening to this think about the energy from like a caloric perspective. But, you know, if you know anything about how calories are measured, you know, it's just measuring like heat that's that's being burned through that process of atp so i'm curious and i want to work in things like grounding where you you can absorb electrons like is is this a measure of you know inputs and then atp created is this like a measure of electrons exactly because you know light for example you know can obviously improve mitochondrial efficiency and uh you know that's absorbed either either by like cytochrome C oxidase or metabolic water. So it, it gets pretty complex, like really fast. So I'm curious if you could explain to people exactly where that like two thirds is coming from, from like a quantifiable perspective and then how things like grounding um, play into that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I can't remember exactly what they measured, but I know that it's based on electrons um, okay. or at least, yeah. or at least energy created from electrons because I've seen some things that tell me that it may not directly be electrons traveling through something and that, you know, there's within like the, I guess the physics world, there's, there's speculation as to whether electrons are traveling through an electrical wire to provide energy to your house. It's more about there's electrons along the wire. And when energy comes through them, it, it, it vibrates them back and forth in kind of in their space. And that's what creates an electric field that provides the energy. Um, and so, you know, that could be happening on the collagen fibers in our fascia that the electrons are moving back and forth and that's what's creating it. And things like putting your feet directly on the earth are the energy source. The electromagnetic energy from the earth is what's creating that vibration that creates energy or the, the photon energy from the light is what's creating that vibration and creating the energy source. And so, um, I, I guess you could make an argument that maybe it's the electromagnetic field generation that's creating the energy. Um, but as far as like the, the, the two thirds, one third, it's all about, yes, I guess in the end where we get that. And it's not just ATP because people think that the ATP is, is, you know, what's driving all of our cellular processes, like the energy currency. But to me, ATP is, is, is really just unfolding proteins um, so that we can maintain those cellular processes. Um, but 
it's all about that. I guess that production of the ATP, but also the water, also um, the heat, infrared light, because your mitochondria are making their own light, and also um, and the free radicals. And so um, I guess it's the measurement of those things, you know. And so I guess we can only get so much of those things from food because you know the 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 breakdown of 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 the chemical bonds in food is a certain set of pathways. It's the it's the um, um, it's the Krebs cycle and all that stuff, you know, so an electron transport chain, like, but the electron transport chain can't get energy from somewhere else. And I, I have a question too. And I guess my answer is going to be that, um, I don't know exactly, but, um, cause I've, I've read a lot of different things and I don't know exactly which one it is. Um, but it doesn't really matter because the things that, that create the efficiency of it are the same. Um, but I, I wonder too, like if we've just seen electrons, on the electron transport chain under electron microscope, but we never really seen them traveling and jumping. Maybe we're just seeing them shake, move back and forth, and we call that tunneling. But that that that's creating energy. Um, that is again, you know, in all those complexes within the electron transport chain, that is making different things like complex four. It's making the water and the and the free radical in complex five. It's making the. Um, but it's all about the charges. You know, it's all about creating this electricity, pretty much which is the same thing we see in electrical wires. It's bringing electricity to their house. We create that energy field, electricity field, and we get energy. Um, and so, you know, I think the most, and I do know where the study is, where that quote, it's quoted from, but I have to go find it um, and I can get it to you. Um, yeah, yeah, please, please. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I, I'm not, I'm not asking this to be a provocative, like I, I'm, I'm no, no, no. curious because I think, yeah. I think the message is, think about it in terms of electrons. like electrons right. are the input to our mitochondria to create energy right so it's people think it's it's calories it's you know glucose or right. it's fat no like no it, it's electrons and, and you can get that from things other than food that's that's how i think right. about it and the thing is is that when we don't get them from anywhere else but food we end up getting quote, unquote, excess calories right mm. we get too much of these things and so but but the real reason that we get people think oh excess calories is weight gain, and to me that's not weight gain. Weight gain is literally lost energy because yeah. I don't know I don't know a, a overweight person that's just busting full of energy because they have so much of it. It's it's because because when their when their electron transport chain is not efficient at either shifting electrons back and forth or actually passing them down tunneling them, um, and they get lost then that's just energy that flows out into the body that has to be dealt with, has to be stored. So the body packages that up and stores it places because our mitochondria just cannot efficiently handle the amount of clinical energy that's coming through the system. And so the body stores it peripherally, right? Yeah, um, I mean, that's that, that's yeah. been my mindset shift with, with things like obesity is like it's actually thinking about it as like a, a disease of insufficiency rather than, rather than excess, which is the modern... The modern mm-hmm. paradigm and sells morozempic or whatever the drug is and all that yeah. <laughs> all that exciting stuff. But uh, I I want to kind of dive into this grounding stuff more and maybe uh, this may be like getting a little bit out of your wheelhouse a little bit. But I think it'd be kind of a fun discussion because we're talking a lot about energy transfer, electrons creating you know fields of of energy. Um, and this is something that Tristan and I have like kind of dived into, or he's sort of spoon fed me, I suppose. Um, the, these these sort of interferences with creating energy, and and things like NEMF, and sort of how do those things interfere with our body's ability to make energy, and 
and can practicing these things in, in an environment that is not necessarily ideal, like say living in a city, can they still be beneficial as somewhat of a buffer? Um, I don't know. It, I mean, obviously it's sort of like that, the idea of the toxic bucket of how full is your bucket and how fast can you empty it? But sort of like wh- how, how much of these activities can, can uh, exchange that. Maybe we can kind of talk about some of that stuff. Cause I find it, that's, that's my sort of my, uh, my, my hole I'm in right now. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to counterbalance all those things. And final on to that is like, people will ask you, and I'm sure you get these messages all the time. Cause it happens to me and I'm comments and uh, Tristan's tweets is like, how much of blank do I need to get benefit? Mm-hmm. It's like, how much sun do I need to get, how much grounding they want like a minute number. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that's entirely quantifiable, but I'd sort of love your thoughts on, on those things as well. I know that was a lot, but I just have to get you know, it out. Um, yeah, and, and I'll answer that one first. It's what I tell people when they ask me that, um, is, is that we've been so programmed to need a prescription, to need to do this and you will get better or do this and it will fix your problem, right? And so people will say, well, what do I have to do? What's the minimum I have to do to fix my problem? It's just like any amount is going to be better than none. Right. So do it as much as you can. Like we're talking about grounding. Do as much as you can. Put your feet barefoot on the earth as much as you can. If you're if you're doing something and you can do it outside with your feet barefoot on the earth, go do it then. Like if I'm making food in the kitchen, I don't sit down at the table and eat it. I go outside and put my feet on the ground and eat it. Just like anything you can do. If I'm reading a book, I'm trying to be out there, you know. Um, so yeah, three minutes is, is better than no minutes each day, you know? So just do it as much as you can and your body is going to get better. Same with, same with sunlight. Be smart about it. Like, you know, don't burn, but you're going to be less likely to burn if you get different amounts of like the, the different wavelengths and colors of temperatures of light throughout the day. Um, you're going to, your body's going to um, be able to soak in more of that without burning. Um, so yeah. And then as far as grounding goes, this is where I actually learned and came across the, um, the whole idea of I don't know if electrons are traveling through the collagen in the fascia of my body or if they're just oscillating electrons back and forth, creating an electric field, uh, electromagnetic field. Um, and but it doesn't matter because we're getting energy either way. Um, but yeah, when you when you put yourself in contact with an energy source, um, something with an electromagnetic field like the Earth um, that has these electrons in it because of lightning striking the Earth, um, you know we know that we know that when two conductive surfaces are put up against each other that the the surface with um the higher charge is going to flow it's going to flow energy into the one with the lower charge since the earth's always going to have more charge than i am because it's ginormous and i'm I'm not then it's going to flow into me or to living things um and so it's exactly what we see uh when you put your feet on the earth now the question is what does that do for us one thing that it does is it you know we can we can provide ourselves electrons like we talked about and, and make energy in the form of ATP and other things that mitochondria create by, by using those um, um, electrons to do that stuff. Um, but also it's going to, you know, I talked about how infrared light structures water, but also doing this type of thing, putting yourself into this, these compatible electromagnetic fields and soaking up energy from the earth is also going to structure water in your bodies, or it's going to energize the water so that when it gets next to hydrophilic surfaces, it will structure itself. And so one of the you know, biggest things that this does for heart health um, is is it structures water onto the lining of the artery, but also onto the elements of blood. And so we have there's actually um, you know a few different studies that show that grounding 
Um, and some of them were in like an artificial setting, like they were plugged into the wall and they were grounded that way rather than feet directly on earth. Um, but they were plugged into the grounding wire, but it will actually increase what's called zeta potential around the red blood cells, around lipoproteins as well, around blood elements. And the reason this is important is because that serves as this kind of protective layer, this structured water around those elements um, serves as a protective layer that keeps things from pumping up. Um, we talk about like, you know, red blood cell pumping, like a, um, when you get like a, it's called a low formation. If you get a erythrocyte sedimentation rate test, um, uh, you can look at those types of things, but that that's a signal of, of decreased inflammation. And that's something that grounding has been shown to significantly decreases inflammation. But the other important thing about um, having things evenly spaced from each other or everybody's respecting their own space within the bloodstream is, is clotting, is preventing clotting, right? Because if, if things are not moving well, things are getting stagnant, um, then that just you know, perpetuates or, or encourages the state of clotting, clotting if we're in an inflamed state. Um, and the other thing is, is that, you know, not only does that spacing help prevent that, but also the, the um, increase of structured water on the lining of the artery creates a battery situation because of how it forms that literally creates, creates blood flow, which is what Gerald Pollock has shown over and over again in his lab, is that when you do this, um, it, it creates flow. And so I have I have learned um, over the years that so much is about flow of fluid in the body. If the body is, is I mean, think, people can think about like a puddle. If there's a puddle and it's just sitting there and it's not, you know, evaporating, then the puddle gets dirty, then maybe get bacteria, some debris get into it, whatever. But if you look at a river, it's always flowing. And there's very little, if any, spots where things get backed up and it looks dirty and gross because there's flow. Um, and that's what we need to create in our bodies. But unfortunately, we put ourselves in the wrong environments to do that. Lots of people do, and we get this um, stagnant flow. So grounding gives you your um, the water and your blood energy to create this flow and prevent this um, stagnant or uh, bunching up of things um, in the blood um, that uh, that can create issues. Are you interested in 100% grass-fed, grass-finished bison meat? I'm excited to be a partner with Falls Family Ranches. Based in Wyoming, Falls Family Ranches is raising high-quality bison meat the way nature intended. As a native large ruminant of North America, bison is one of the most nutrient-dense foods you can consume. If you're interested in trying out their bison boxes, use code TRISTAN, T-R-I-S-T-A-N, 10, for 10% off your first order. Super fascinating stuff. I mean, we I haven't really gotten, maybe we can even talk about a little bit about water because we haven't talked about that too much on the podcast and sort of the importance of that. Tristan, do you have something you wanted to say really quick? No, I, I think it's just like so fascinating. And I, I think about it all as, yeah, flow, whether that be flow of, you know, water, flow of charge, like flow of communication. Like I think it all comes down to the signal and the flow is being interrupted. Mm-hmm. Like, and if signals are interrupted or, or the flow of, of water electrons, like that's when, you know, you're in this sympathetic state of, of not being able to uh, function in, in an optimal way. So I, I think that's important. And it's just good to highlight this because I think grounding, it's interesting to think about like, you know, how disconnected we are and how much that's actually affecting our health because like we used to just be like 100% like connected like all the time. And even if you go outside for like, yeah, 15, 30 minutes a day, like, yeah, that's, that's better than nothing. But like, you know, 
we used to just it just used to be a hundred percent like full tilt like we were we were recharging it, you know all the time so i'm curious you know what you do or what you think is like an optimal way do you you know subscribe to like grounding shoes and grounding sheets and beds and things like that or or do you just try and get out as as much as possible kind of actionable steps thing yeah i i try i just try and get out as much as possible i don't have any issues she's not to say that i won't at some point in my life because it really like my what i tell people to do is all dependent on their current state of health you know if they're yeah. really sick it's like okay let's think about some sheets some shoes let's do it as often as we can right because what you're doing you need like a higher dose than maybe some people other people do um you know and i hope that i you know the things i'm doing now that are in smaller amounts are preventing me from getting to that state where i need the higher amounts later on or, or increasing the amount of time I'll need before I have to get to that point. Um, so yeah, I think that that's kind of individual um, based on the person about how far I would go. Now, if you just got the money and the resources and you just want to create optimization, then yeah, go for it. I think you could do, do grounding as much as you want, as many ways as you want. Um, there is something to be said for like, as far as indoor grounding and, and like dirty electricity in the house and things that you want to yep. make sure that you mitigate that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, and I mean, it could just be as easy as, you know, running a copper wire into the yard and through a window rather than relying on your grounding wire or something. But, um, but yeah, so the level at which you do those things in the extreme, which you go to, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily consider it extreme, but you can call it that, um, is, uh, is dependent on your state of health and what level of health you want to get to. Yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree. Ryan, you want to ask about water? Yeah. I mean, and just building off that last point is like, you made such a good point about, I think, Part of the job that I would love to accomplish here is is stating simply that it's so much of what we talk about is context dependent as far as like amounts and all these things. It's hard to give, like you said, everyone's looking for a prescription or actually the easy way out um, is what people are looking for most of the time, like the bare minimum to get the max benefit, which, you know, I'm all for efficiency and stuff like that. But some of the things you can't quantify on that sort of sort of basis. So there's always that context dependent thing. And I've always been kind of interested in the in the indoor in the grounding sheets and the plug in things because I always wonder like, and maybe this is just a quick question, but like when you plug things in like that, are you are you actually getting a benefit or are you just getting more dirty electricity? Because I think about that sometimes when you're plugging into the grid, mm-hmm. like are you just getting that electricity versus like what you actually want to get from the Earth's field? Because um, I've wondered about that because there's so many products out there. I mean, I'm wearing one of them right now. So it's like, it's like how much of how much of the gadgets should we worry about or should we really focus on the basics, which is generally what I think is like, just go outside as much as you can, because in that case, you at least know you're getting something beneficial and you're not just throwing money at something. But hey, there's also placebo. So well, it's also yeah, free. It's also free. That's right. the thing. Most people can do that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But um. Yeah, I was just gonna say, um, like, it comes down to me, it's like mitochondrial, you know, function, right? It's like you can handle, if you're if your mitochondria are like, optimally functioning, like you can handle things better. And if like Steve was saying, if if you're in this state, so I, I was just gonna say, you know, what, what do you think are, you know, the biggest detriments to, you know, mitochondrial dysfunction and and ryan kind of alluded to a few of them but i'm curious how you think about that and and maybe what are the you know the other things that we haven't mentioned that that are also really impactful to to helping improve 
that that function because I know there there are a few um, others probably. Yeah. Um, well, one of the one of the big ones that we've 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 talked about, but not in the context of mitochondria, is is structured water. Um, so you know, the amount or the I guess the health of the structured water in your in your cells and your mitochondria um, definitely plays a role in how well you know your mitochondria can make those end products, make the structured water, make the um, free radicals, make the ATP, whatever it needs to do, because um, the state of the water is really important for how far apart those complexes in the electron transport chain are. You know, so if your water is in a different state that's not uh, that's more or less dense than it should be, that can create a situation where we get again loss of that electron flow. Um, so that loss can um, you know increase less efficiency, but then it also can create excess uh, or wasted energy. Um, so fourth phase water in the context of mitochondria is really important. So if you want to shrink those mitochondria, like things like um, you know the sunlight and the grounding, but also cold exposure, really important or really helpful, I should say, um, in shrinking. Uh, the uh, space between these um, complexes and electron transport chain. Um, and then some of the big interferences with mitochondrial health. So, you know, I mean, one reason we talked a lot about mitochondria, but the reason it's so important for the heart is because the heart is one of the tissues with the highest amount of mitochondria. Uh, it's like 5,000 per cell, which is, which is insane. Um, and so, but it makes sense, you know, it needs a lot of, you know, um, function, it needs a lot of energy because it's always contracting. Uh, never stops their whole life, um, but also it gives it the highest electromagnetic field um, because the mitochondria are producing an electromagnetic, um, you know, signal, and that is creating a field, which is why you know the heart has the the biggest one, which allows it to literally affect every cell in the body. It's the only electromagnetic field that can touch every cell in the body. So when we're talking about getting everything on the same page as far as communication and not interfering with that signal by other electromagnetic fields coming in and affecting those mitochondria, um, then uh, then it's really important for the heart and, and creating coherence in the body. Um, so electromagnetic fields, I think, are a huge issue as far as something that um, can throw off uh, mitochondrial function um, through affecting the electromagnetic field. Um, and so, and then also I'd say, um, uh, I'd say light, um, wrong types of light, I should say, at, at the wrong times will definitely kind of zap your mitochondria. Um, again, because we're we're supposed to be taking in that light and, and, and creating structured water, creating energy, um, all these things that enhance the uh, um, function of the mitochondria. So if we're doing um, things that aren't doing that, so because you know it's called, it's almost like the autonomic nervous system. You're supposed to get the balanced signal between you know stress and non-stress signal. It's never one or the other. It's the same with light. You know, it's uh, we're never supposed to get you know one wavelength or color temperature of light at a time. It always comes um, in multiple um, wavelengths and color temperatures, and that's that's kind of like this moderation type thing, you know. But um, and so when we get you know the blue light the wrong times and always it structure circadian rhythm and all that stuff and suppress melatonin but um it also creates inefficient mitochondria it interferes with um the ability of those you know to be able to pass down the electrons through the electron transport chain um so so light is incredibly important um i actually just got off a, a, a call with a client not too long ago where i was trying to harp on this and i was like light is what's 
is, is what's literally telling your body what to do. Like your body's responding the way it is right now because you're getting the wrong light environment. And it was just a hard concept for them. You know, it's, it's incredibly important. Um, and then I'd say just like, you know, going kind of back to the cold exposure, I think one of the other things, main disruptors of things is that I, I kind of, I guess, convenience, um, you know, like we're trying to make everything so easy. Um, you know, we control our temperature environment, we control the light environment, so everything's always the same um, brightness and stuff. Um, I mean, we can we literally can try and control everything to make it convenient, when in reality, you know, we don't want to live like harsh lives. We don't have to do that in this day and age, but we also need to recognize the benefit of, of doing hard things and the resilience that gives your body because it upregulates all these mechanisms that keep you healthy. Um, and so if we never use those, it's like, it's like never using your muscles, it's just going to kind of waste away. Um, if we never use those, those, those mechanisms that help your body deal with that, that small stress, that hormetic stress, whatever you want to call it, then we're just, we're creating dysfunction. We're creating weak things. Um, whether that's weak mitochondria down to the cellular level, whether it's weak muscles, whether it's, you know, you know, weak, whatever. Um, so I think that there's something to be said for that, creating that resilience to doing hard things and it's not trying to make everything so convenient all the time. No, that's such a great point. We talk about that actually quite a, quite a bit about like sort of convenience culture and, and just the day and age that we live in. We live in such a such an amazing time to be a human, I think. And at the same time, such a dangerous <laughs> time to live. It's like, it's it's sort of like finding that balance. And it's like, it's like you said, you don't use it, you lose it. That works on pretty much every cellular level of your body, not just muscle or mind. And so I think that's a really good point of view to have. And we sort of, I think the difficulty is we, we live in a time now where we have to go out of our way to create healthy stress, because I think there's this negative connotation with stress um, being only negative when, like you said, things like cold exposure, sun, I mean, cold exposure is not an exciting, fun, calm time. Um, there's definitely ways to calm it down. Um, but I was jumping in the river with Tristan maybe like a week and a half ago, and I realized how bad my resilience is even now, um, because I just got in there and I was, I could not handle hardly any of it, but there's sort of a, a benefit of hormetic stress. And I think what happens in a diseased state is you, you, your, your body's resilience is even worse than say the average person who doesn't have say an autoimmune disease or, mm -hmm. or neuropathy or something of that nature. And so there's a benefit still to, I think, um, I, I actually love your opinion on this is sort of like when you're in that diseased state. Yes, you may not be able to handle the same level of hermetic stress as mm -hmm. a healthy individual, but is it still beneficial to practice some level of getting into sympathetic and then coming back into parasympathetic? Um, because I, I, I struggle with that myself and, and having people reach out to me, and I'm sure you deal with this with clients because a lot of people that I think are sick are stuck in that stress state. And so we're working on bringing them down. But at some point, there's going to be a benefit to sort of giving them a bit of hormetic stress because you want them to be resilient. You don't want them to just be basically a, a glob of mush. Um, so where's that balance? And of course it's individual, but are there benefits to practicing things like cold exposure when you are still in a stressed state? Or is that something that you wait for and maybe focus on things like heat, like infrared sauna and, and getting your sunlight in and stuff like that to build up? Yeah, I think, well, you meet the client where they are, you know, if if uh, if the sunlight is the hermetic stress they get, then that's the free thing that they can do, and that's great. But you know, 
full disclosure can start with just dunking your face in, in a nice bath, you know, um, and then it can work up to, um, you know, cold shower for a thirty seconds, then a minute, and then two minutes, and then you know, then just full submersion in in cold water and then ice water. You know, it can it can work up to those types of things, um, depending on on you know your tolerance and, and what your body can handle. But it's the same with it's the same with um with diet. You know, it's just like if if uh, you can't like wake up and eat like like I do today, then you could you could at least change when you eat. Um, you know, and and do the window um, earlier in the day. Uh, and then we'll work on what you eat later. And it's, there's just so many different steps you could take, you know, because lots of times I think people hear our podcasts like these or, or they read books and things like that. And they're just like, man, I got to go all or nothing. And it's like, well, no, you can start somewhere. Like I didn't just wake up yesterday or one day and just do what I do today. It's always been this evolving process and gotten better and better as I learned more and more and, and made my life or made it able to do those. Or just like, even with the light stuff, it's like some people are just not going to get up in the morning and see the sunrise. They're just not going to do it. Because either they they don't want to or they, they just don't even have the capacity. They can't even think about doing that today. So okay, we'll just buy some blue blocking glasses and block blue light at night. Let's start there, you know, um, and it just kind of work things up to it. But there's always somewhere you can start. There's always something you can do. So never use oh I'm too sick to do anything or I just don't feel like doing anything because there's always a place you can start, even if it's just little things and it takes you a long time to get where you want to be. Um, mm-hmm. it, there's always going to be a benefit in doing these things. You just got to do it in a way that um that enhances your success uh rather rather than overwhelms you um and you know falls back makes you fall back down to where you were in the beginning you know no totally agree and one thing going back to structured water because you kind of mentioned it with with seeing sunrise and stuff like that and having those times of the day being ideal for for helping your body make structured water um there's a lot of talk about like red light devices like i have one is there still a benefit to using something like that in the morning and evening if you can't get out in the sun for creating structured water um, obviously the sun, you're never going to beat the sun because it has it all, but is there still benefit for using those devices at those times to help your body make structured water? And is it, is it true that like you make more structured water in the morning during that infrared wavelength versus the evening, or is it kind of the even I, I've, I've heard like a couple different things on that. I, I think that you, you make more, but I don't think it's necessarily because of light. I think it's because of metabolism, which is higher in the morning. Um, so your mitochondria are making structured water. So your cortisol spikes, your everything gets going, your metabolism gets going in the morning. So you're you're making more structured water. And if you expose yourself to infrared, then I think that's a good thing. It's probably why we might see more um, in the morning. Um, but yeah, I do. I do. If I do my red light exposure, like my little hacks, then I do them. I try to do them in the appropriate time when the infrared's high. Now, infrared's going to be there all day long. It's just that you're going to have blue light there too in the midday and green light and things like that. Um, but yeah, so I try and sync that up. Um, because I think my body's uh, evolutionarily in tune to use it better at those times. Um, so when I do sauna, I do it in the morning before I even even leave. Like I'll mm-hmm. if uh, I go out and I see the sunrise for the light in my eyes, but then I'll open the window and sit in the sauna right by the window, so I'm getting the light in my eyes and I'm getting a higher infrared um, dose. Because I also like to get hot um, doing that and, and have that that stress too. Um, so, so yeah, I'm going to try and sync it up with what would make sense um, naturally, you know. What is, um, I've actually wondered about this and I've had questions and I'll let Tristan jump in after this, but um, what is the difference between say using like a red light therapy device versus jumping in the infrared sauna? Are there, are there differences in wavelengths or are they virtually the same thing? Because I, I have both 
but I've, I've had people ask me like, oh, is this different than using the light? Um, is there a benefit to doing both or does it matter? Is it interchangeable? I've just sort of wondered that myself. I think both might be a little overkill. Not to say that it's harmful to do both, but I think that it might be a little overkill. You need one or the other. I mean, the difference is that red light is on the visual spectrum. It's visible red light. Infrared is on the non-visible spectrum. So you're not going to see it. It's just going to feel the heat. Um, the sun has both, um, you know, but, uh, but you know, I, I think that doing both maybe okay. Infrared is the most absorbed by water, um, you know, and it's going to have mitochondrial benefits, same as red light will. I'm not saying uh, any is, is better than the other. If, if all you can afford is a, a small red light panel, then, you know, that's what you can do. Um, I just, yeah, I don't have a red light panel. I think that it would it'd be a little, but I, I do use red light panels in, um, um, in uh, my clinic for, for decompression patients and trying to build up and hydrate the collagen again um, because I can have it there in the clinic and they can stay in there. Um, but, um, but yeah, so that's the difference. I think as far as like what it does to the body is that water absorbs infrared a bit more. Gotcha. Okay. That's, that's kind of what I was wondering because I, I, I don't use both in the same day usually mm-hmm. anyways, but I have both. And I was just curious if there was actually a, a, a huge difference, but that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. There's even differences. People think, you know, in, in near and far infrared, um, mm-hmm. and the ability to, to penetrate and what effects it may have, like near infrared, more, more cellular mitochondria, health, far infrared, more like pulling toxins out. Um, mm-hmm. I think, but I, I think that, um, the heat is also important too. I mean, heat, um, that's why the finish saunas are so beneficial too. I mean, there's no infrared, it's just creating heat, um, because it, it kind of melts the gels, melts the four phase water, which sometimes things can get stuck in there. So it's what a fever does. You know, if you have a fever, you're, you're melting the gels a little bit so you can, your body can push out the things, get stuck, and then it forms new, healthy, structured water without things interfering with it. Um, once that happens, it's kind of this, this cleansing of the structured water. That's why um, a natural process of, of cleansing when you're sick is, is a fever. What are your thoughts on, you know, the water that we, we actually consume, that we drink? Like, is that playing a factor into, you know, structured water? Um in terms of what we produce, assuming not, but like, you know, how about the water that the average person drinks and is just exposed to via, you know, cleaning and showering and things like that? Yeah, I know people that tell me or that say, you know, you like you got to get structured water, you got to drink structured water. And I, that's beneficial, you know, like you could definitely do that, drink water and it's more coherent state. And um, however, for the reality for a lot of people is that they're never going to be able to buy devices that do that or, or, you know, whatever. And so, but they've got a lot of water in themselves already, but they can expose their bodies to those things um, and, and create um, you know, the ability of your mitochondria and the water in your body to be energized so that it can structure itself. Um, but I think more importantly, when it comes to water is make sure that it's not full of toxins because those are going to interfere with the structuring of water and the function of water. And they're going to increase oxidative stress. Um, uh, and things like that when they get in the body and then also mineralize the water uh, make sure your water has minerals because without those minerals it can't do what it's supposed to do uh, it can't it can't truly hydrate you without the minerals um, because the hydrated minerals are what actually you know go into the cells and 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 bring water molecules in there and then the structuring of it is based on other things like the light and stuff um, but yeah at the very least the least minerals or the least uh, toxins as possible and make sure it's mineralized. Um, and then if you want to have a structuring water device, I think that's is awesome um, and that people can do that. Um, but you could also focus on putting your body in environments that structure the water as well. 
So basically just don't drink dead water. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's it comes back to like electrolytes. Like people know this word because of Gatorade, right? Like electrolytes, electrolytes. Like what what does that even mean? And it goes back to actually like, you know, electricity, right? Like in the cells, like you need these, you know, minerals that are like ions for us to, you know, be able to communicate intracellularly. And I think what you're talking about, like you can get really deep down the collagen, like water, fascia, rabbit hole of, of like intracellular communication. And that stuff is so cool. But that kind of ties into my next question is like, you know, we're talking a lot about very complex topics. You know, the average person doesn't even know like about cellular respiration or, you know, any of this stuff and, and even the wavelengths of light, right? Like, it's very like physics based in, in nature. And some people have, you know, STEM backgrounds, some people don't. And and we've talked about, you know, some easy takeaways, you know, getting, you know, sunlight, can, getting connected to the earth, like eating real food, maybe thinking about like low carb and avoiding, you know, artificial light and, and non-native EMFs. But, you know, how, how do you think we, we get more people on board with this? Like, where do you see the, the gap being bridged and, you know, working with, with, with clients, like, are they receptive to this or, you know, how do you kind of approach, you know, educating and, and getting people into a healing stay with, with these modalities that are simple takeaways, but complex, you know, in the layers below them. Yeah. I'm going to say one thing first for that, because you, you made me think of it when you said electrolytes are electricity and everything. So that's actually one way that the heart communicates information to the rest of the body because that's why you can that's why you can pick up an electrocardiogram at someone's feet you know because the the electrical signals from the heart and the electromagnetic field from the heart are being communicated like electrically through the electrically conductive you know blood um which is full of electrolytes um that's why you know when lightning strikes the ocean you know electricity goes off everywhere because there's all these that's how it conducts it right um and so that's just an interesting thing it's it's one of like maintaining yeah. your electrolyte balance is really important for that communication of information from the heart to create that coherence. Um, and then I think that, you know, I think sometimes people get bogged down in like all the different things they're quote unquote supposed to do to achieve health. They start getting into the health. They start listening to all these people and, and they just feel like their list is like 18 pages long of all the things they have to do. Right. And, um, and it gets overwhelming and by, yeah, yeah. Right. And and so sometimes I think that it 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 really helps them to train them instead of telling them a bunch of things to do and how to do it and just giving them instructions, giving them that that prescription like people want, you know, like how long do I have to do this? Is giving them more of a philosophy um, because then if they have that philosophy, they can go throughout their life and decide what's best for them or not. You know, they don't have to go buy this book that they they wrote down all these things and say, oh, is this okay or not? You know, they can decide for themselves. And I think that's way more useful um, sometimes for some people um, than just giving them direct instructions. And so the philosophy I like to share with people um, just to kind of get them to step back and realize what we're actually doing is ask themselves what is real, you know? Um, and so, because, you know, we get, we get caught up in these hyper realities. And I talk about this term a lot, these hyper, which means we just take something, um, some, uh, construct as more real than what's actually real. And, you know, example could be blood work. You know, we, we look at this blood work and we say, this says I'm healthy or it says I'm really unhealthy. Right. But I can't tell you how many times I've, you know, looked at blood work in someone and been like, this person should be dead, you know, and they come in there like, I feel great or vice versa, you know? So it's just like blood work is this hyper real. doesn't mean it's not important. doesn't mean we shouldn't pay attention to it, but it's just this, 
this hyper reality, these things. And then, you know, a more easy to understand example is the weather channel, right? So like you look at the weather channel, you see the green blob going across the screen. It says it's raining in these areas. And I can't tell you how many times I've looked at my thing and it says raining. I look outside, it's not raining. You know, like that's a hyper reality. We're taking this, this thing on the weather channel that's telling us this is real and we're not looking at what's really happening in front of us. And so when we step back and we ask ourselves, what should we do for health? We should ask ourselves, what's real? What's real food? What's our real environment? What's real contact with air? What's real light, not processed light? What are real relationships? Not, not fake relationships or not um, virtual relationships um, or pseudo relationships like all my friends on Facebook that I never really talked to. It's like have real in-person relationships, real social, supportive, loving relationships. Um, but yeah, so ask yourself what's real, you know, like, um, and what's, and what's not, what's this hyper reality that we've created And this. I mean, you could literally, you could, I mean, medical research, hyper reality, you know, like we talk about all these different things, you know, even all some of the things we talk about here, like not to like, you know, um, you know, throw doubt or confuse people or whatever, but it's just like, these are things based on our understanding based off medical science that was designed by humans or conducted by humans, you know, so there's, it's these hyper realities we can go in and we can. You know, because I hope people realize, you know, when I say things like, well, I'm not really sure. I have lots of different, I've read lots of different theories as to why this happens. But in the end, it doesn't matter exactly what happens. What matters is that I know that time and time again, I tell people to go get in the sun, eat real food, have real relationships, get real contact with earth, and they feel better. Like, and that's the only like true test of time that's going to happen over and over and over again, regardless of all the different theories as to why I think that happens or what's actually happening. The reality is, is that it happens over and over again and it's real. It's not just like real treatment, but it's real to them specifically. And I think that that's a really important thing to think about. Um, when you're looking at the package, should I eat this? Well, these aren't real things, you know, you know, it's either steak, which is just one ingredient steak, or it's all these things with different ingredients. What's more real. And that just, those are the types of battles you got to kind of learn to have with yourself and, and, and you'll learn how to make decisions yourself. That's such a great perspective to have. I think humans include like all of us do such a good job of overcomplicating fundamentals. And at the end of the day, it's, it, it, I think so many of these things that the ideas of like what creates health, so many of them are not only free or close to free, but they're, they're very simple. And I feel like we get lost in the weeds of something needs to be complicated to be right. Um, and I think people often get lost, like searching for those things. And one thing I wanted to ask you more, this is more of a coaching perspective or working with clients perspective, because you do, how do you keep someone who is maybe not yet seeing the results they want to see in the game for the long haul to develop those results? Because I know I'll have people come to me saying like, oh, I tried this. It didn't work. So I'm just going to eat candy and cookies or whatever, because they taste better. And so like, how do you keep someone's mindset in the right place when they're not maybe seeing an, a, a turnaround overnight sort of thing? Um, one thing I, um, I encourage some people to do sometimes is, is make notes of their baseline where they started. How often were you getting whatever symptom? How often was you know, maybe bulbar could be useful in this, in this sense, like maybe there's something on bulbar that they want to correct, you know, um, but get like, write down baselines of things of where they were so that when they get to the point, maybe they still having symptoms and stuff. Um, and they're just like, oh, I'm tired of this. Cause it's, it's not working as well as I would like it to yet. I get them to refer back to, Hey, where were you? Look, you've made progress. Look, it is working. You know, 
Um, so that can be an important thing. It's not something that I kind of formally do with people, but it's just like I can encourage them to to make note, maybe even write it down where you were, so you can you can gauge your progress because that progress is is encouraging, you know. Um, and so you know, I, I hesitate to do it with certain testing because I don't think testing is the end all be all, but it can be a motivator um, to people to to keep it up. Um, but also just getting them to recognize, you know, maybe they are able to do things that they, they haven't been able to do for a long time and they don't even realize it, you know, they just, because they're so focused on a certain symptom. Um, so it's kind of like broadening, broadening their, their mind a little bit and they're broadening their view of health. It's not just this certain symptom that you have um, that is, that you're trying to get rid of because you get so narrowly focused on that one symptom when life is way more than just that one symptom. Um, and so, so really, you know, making them aware of those types of things um, will keep them on track. No, that's great. That's why I'm so careful with, with the, the way I label things or talk to myself or all these uh, sort of subliminal, uh, subliminal messaging that we send ourselves all the time of like, we are this, I am my symptom, mm -hmm. blah, 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 because we get trapped in that, in that mindset of like, this is everything when there's so much more. That's a great perspective. I thank you for coming on. Like, where can people reach out to you, find your book, um, your other works? So you have so many great resources on your Instagram and, and, and stuff like that. Where can people find you and reach out to you? Yeah, my website is resourceyourhealth.com and my books and my health consulting um, are on there. Um, and I'm uh, on social media, um, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It's just Dr. Stephen Hussey, Dr. Stephen Hussey. Uh, people can find me there. And um, I'll be speaking at a few different events this year. So if you want to meet me in person, they can, they can try and go to those. Um, but uh, yeah. Sweet. Well, thank you again, Stephen. And thank you guys for coming to another episode of Decentralized Radio. See you in the next one.